Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I told you I'd be coming back to talk to you when there was Guardians news to discuss, and boy, did we get some news today, didn't we? The Cleveland Guardians somehow, somehow have ended up with the first pick in the MLB draft, the 2024 MLB draft. They... They looked like they were going to be slotted around the ninth pick. They had like a 2% chance and change uh, of getting the number one overall pick. And somehow the ping pong balls land in their favor in Cleveland. Now, remember, the draft isn't until All-Star Weekend. Right? Baseball, it's so much different than every other sport because you have the college baseball season. So the actual MLB draft isn't until uh, All-Star Weekend. So it's going to be a while till we get there, but uh, the Guardians will be picking number one overall. Now, I'm sure there are plenty of podcasts out there that are already going into their mock drafts and, and things like that, and I'm not a draft expert. That's not what I do. Uh, but I was paying attention. I was reading some things, and we're just going to mention some names, just some names that we can float out there that you can keep an eye on, that you can pay attention to, as those conversations develop, uh, you know, throughout the college baseball season and, and all those sorts of things. So uh, we are definitely going to throw some names at you today, just so you're familiar with them. But, uh, you know, as an organization, obviously, this was completely unexpected. Antonetti uh, gave an interview after uh, after the uh, it was announced and they got him on MLB Network and uh, did a quick interview with him. And, you know, he gave the classic classic Antonetti interview where he, he's excited and he uh, doesn't say much. And uh, Antonetti's very good at that. He's very good at making you feel excited without saying too much. Uh, that's, that's how you become a president of a baseball organization, apparently. Uh, you got to have that skill in your back pocket. But, uh, you know, it's... They've never picked first overall before. Uh, I guess he said in 2013 was the last time they picked top five. I believe the last time they picked top two was in the 90s when they took Paul Shuey, number two overall. So they've never, as literally have never picked number one overall, which up until recently has, I guess, been a good thing because it shows that they've never been that bad, right? But they changed the way they do things. Now, Baseball Prospectus, uh, or sorry, uh, Baseball America had a writer in the draft room, and they wrote a very detailed. Uh, they wrote a very JJ Cooper apparently is the author here. Wrote a very detailed article about exactly how this works, and my God, I don't think it could be more complicated on how this works. But basically, every team ha gets different combinations of numbers. Um, so it, it's when they say the lottery, they literally mean like the lottery. <laughs> like a lottery ticket where you've got, you know, you buy 5, 10, 20 tickets, uh, and you're looking for those combinations. So, so it's not just pulling a ping pong ball and it has Cleveland's name on it. It's they pulled four ping pong balls, and we happen to have one of the com combinations. Uh, that gave us the number one overall pick. But that's on the, this is how complicated it is. That was on the second drawing. The first drawing actually would have given the first pick to the to the Washington Nationals. But because they are a revenue sharing team, which means they make more money than the, the small market teams, 
uh, and they have to ship pay into that pool to keep the league competitive. They can't be in the lottery two years in a row, but they didn't want to screw up the odds for everybody else by taking their combinations out of the mix. So they kind of had to run it, even though they knew if somehow Washington won, they were never going to give them the number one overall pick, which is a very weird thing to happen, but that's how it went down. So literally the first time they did this, uh, Washington would have been the number one pick. They said, okay, do over. And on the do over, Cleveland gets it. So it's extremely complicated. If you want to dig in more, go to Baseball America. I, I just love at the end of this article, uh, they, uh, you know, the people in the room, the base, the each team's representative and the MLB representatives and the people there from the media who are, uh, you know, there to ensure that everything is above board. They take their phones away from them. They strip them of all electronics, no computers, no phones, no tablets. They're locked in that room for a couple hours before the broadcast, and it's announced to the world. So uh, the author joked here that MLB has learned from previous lotteries, and they've provided food and drink to those people, which they're locked in a room for a couple hours. That's nice. And then they didn't want them to be bored, so they brought in an assortment of board games in case any of the, as the writer says, any of the electronic list sequesties wanted a distraction during the two hours of waiting. So I just find that hilarious that we take away these people's phones and their computers. And they're like, well, here's here's Monopoly and Yahtzee in case you get bored. You know, like that's just, yeah, I, we, I guess we all need to pass the time, right? So um, not only is it a chance for Cleveland to take. Now, unfortunately, there's no, uh, there's no, uh, Bryce Harper in this draft. There's no Alex Bregman. There's no Mike Trout. There's no there's no guy that is going to fundamentally change your franchise by drafting the number one overall. There are some good players, though. There are some very, very good players. Uh, apparently, people seem to be more high on last year's draft than this year's draft, but there are still some very, very good players worthy of taking with the number one overall pick. So not only do we have the chance to draft someone who should anchor our lineup or, in theory, anchor our rotation, but you're going to see I'm going to lean way, way, way more on the hitters here. Um, Someone who could anchor us for years to come. But it also, by being the number one overall pick, it affects the economics of the draft. And we have more money to spend. We're, we're allotted, we're basically allowed to spend more money. We have more pool money to spend to sign these guys uh, because it's the highest pick and the highest pick should demand the most money. Uh, so we have more money available to us to spend than any other team in baseball. So that is cool. Now, I know what you're thinking. The Dolan spending money, I, I feel like this is different. I, I feel like... the. I got to imagine they budget the money for this draft well before they enter into, you know, figuring out free agency and things like that and how much they can spend there. So I, I feel like the, the the draft money has to be something that's set aside. Um, it, the, the draft is just so important in today's game. I know it didn't used to be, but it is so important in today's game. It can really change the shape of your franchise by uh, flooding that farm system with an influx of talent if you pick the right people. And Zach Meisel had an article recently that showed that Cleveland has not been picking the right people. I mean, they've been picking in the, the 
teens, the twenties, and they've been taking flyers on guys, or you know, they're. In this draft will show us the difference in talent between picking twentieth overall and picking first overall. So it's very, very cool. The other thing to note about this is. At the end of the season, when we lost uh, to the Tigers, and the Tigers, you know, jumped us in the standings, and we fell into third place, that had a fundamental effect on what happened today. If the if the Guardians end up second and the Tigers end up third, that changes everything in this draft, and we don't we don't get a chance at this number one overall pick. So I, I'm pretty sure I was one of those people who wanted to beat the Tigers in that series, who just wanted to end the season on a good note, felt like finishing second was somehow would be different in the clubhouse than finishing third. But I'm willing to admit that I was wrong because getting this draft pick is way, way, way more important now that it's the number one overall pick uh, than finishing second behind Minnesota uh, ahead of the Tigers. So I'm definitely willing to admit I was wrong on that one. Um, you know, hey, you know me, I'm passionate about the game on the field. So of course I wanted to win games. That's, that's always going to be my attitude first. Uh, but, uh, those people that are focused on the draft and these things, uh, they, they definitely pointed out how this worked to Cleveland's advantage by finishing third. Okay. So all that awesome news, let's talk about what to do with this number one overall pick. Uh, and, and this is kind of going to feed into some of the emails here. We actually got a lot of good emails that we're going to get to in this episode. We got a lot of things to talk about here in what I'm going to try to keep to a, a, you know, about a half hour episode, but we got the coaching staff in place. There've been some transactions that have happened with Oscar Gonzalez and, uh, uh, acquiring, uh, Berea from the, uh, angels organization. So we got some things to talk about and we got some good emails, but, uh, one of them was from Jeff in Palo Alto, and uh, Jeff has some very nice things to say about the podcast. Uh, he said, the podcast you've done since season's ends were great, and I'm hoping you're taking the time to rest and recharge best you can during this offseason. Um, he said, uh, I just want to take the time to thank you for all you did this year covering the ups and downs of the Guardian season on a daily basis. Your dedication, thoughtfulness, and even-handedness truly stood out at a time of hot takes and desperate cries for attention. So I appreciate the kind words, Jeff. He said, one topic I wouldn't mind you covering, however, especially with the winter meetings looming, he said this a few days ago, is your detailed vision of how to improve the Guardians for next year. Not down to the level of individual names or transactions, you're not Nostradamus. Instead, I'm curious as how you would approach improving the ball club. So we're going to get into that here. And, um, you know, Jeff went on to write uh, a little bit longer email here, so... Uh, basically I'm going to work with Jeff's question here and I'm going to talk about the draft and I just feel like you're so good at developing pitching that that's something that can be addressed later in the draft. The Guardians actually have three picks in like the top 43. They got a compensatory round A pick. So right at the end of the first round, they're going to get a bonus pick and then they get the pick right at the top of the second round. So they're going to have, I mean, a chance at three really good, basically first round picks here. And I feel like pitching is something to be addressed, maybe with those other two picks. And I have confidence in them developing a pitcher. Now, the hitter, 
I think I think finding the right hitter is the move with this number one overall pick. Like I obviously clearly saw from my examples there, right? Bryce Harper. There, there might not be a Bryce Harper guy in this draft, someone who's just destined to be an all-star, destined to be a superstar. But there are some very, very good hitters at the top of this draft that people are predicting will go at the top of this draft right now, right? And I, you, you have to take the opportunity to get a guy who is going to sit in the three-hole four in your lineup for the next, hopefully, 10, 15 years. 15, 20 years. I mean, if, if you get a guy young enough, uh, these guys are moving up into the majors very quickly in some situations. So, yeah, I, you really, really, really have a chance to set the middle of your lineup if you pick the right guy. I And I know, look, there's debates on whether the third spot in the lineup is where your best hitter should hit. I'm, I'm not talking about that. You, you know what I mean by this, right? The guy that the entire lineup is built around, whether he's batting first, second, third, or fourth. So here are some names. I'm not telling you who I would pick. I'm just telling you some of the hitters that have been thrown out there. This is from MLB Network. They just did this tonight. Uh, the first 10 picks of 2024. It's Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo from uh, MLB.com going back and forth on this. And they didn't even assign teams to this. This is more just where they see the players going, number one. The number one name they've got on their list is J.J. Weatherholt. He's an infielder from West Virginia, um, University of West Virginia. He uh, he played second base. He's going to try to play shortstop. They don't ultimately know where he's going to fall defensively. But basically, the quote on him is unbelievable hitter. Won the batting title last year, hit almost 450. His power showed up, stole a bunch of bases. Um, so uh, apparently, this guy's bat is just absolutely unbelievable. So there you go. J.J. Weatherholt, an infielder. Whether he ends up playing second, short, third base, uh, they're not really sure there. But... Uh, that's what you want to hear. That's what I want to hear when the Guardians make this pick. I want to hear unbelievable hitter. And I want to hear power too. I, I can't just take a high contact guy. He's got to have power with him. And the next name on their list is Nick Kurtz, who's a first baseman from Wake Forest. I saw some people had him as their number one name. Um, so he could very easily go here. Uh they said a lot, a lot of first basemen have gone number one overall, but Spencer Torkelson did. The Tigers did that. Um, he's the best combination of hitting ability and power in this draft. There you go. Another quote that I want to hear attached to the guy we're picking number one overall. So Nick Kurtz, a first baseman from Wake Forest. Um, and he, while he hit 24 homers as a sophomore while walking more than he struck out. Again, something the Guardians absolutely love, right? So um, the next name on the list, Travis Bazana, a second baseman from Oregon State. I heard the uh, Locked on Guardians guys talking about him a little bit. Uh, hit 370, slugged 622. He can really hit is the quote. There is power and speed. Stole a bunch of bases. Um at the Cape, went to the Cape League and won the batting title and the MVP award at the Cape League with an OPS over a 
2000, walked more than he struck out last spring. He just seems to be getting better and better. I think the power-speed combination will continue to show up at Oregon State this year. Um, then they had a pitcher next. Chase Burns from Wake Forest was the top pitcher mentioned. And then uh, Jack Caglione, Caglione uh, first baseman, left-handed pitcher from Florida. This guy is interesting because he can pitch and hit. A two-way player at Florida. Uh, apparently this guy is a big, big, powerful lefty, 6'5", 245, uh, but he might have some holes in his swing, his pitches can get up there in the high 90s, but he might have some command issues. When you start throwing question marks in there, I don't know if that's the guy I'm taking number one overall, but that's another name to keep an eye on, this combo guy from Florida, Jack Caglianone. So uh, I could keep going. There's a, some more first base outfield names here. Charlie Condone, um, guy hit with a high average, uh, 25 homers, led the SEC with an 800 slugging percentage. Uh, so there's another big hitter to keep an eye on. Uh, Vance Honeycutt is an outfielder from North Carolina. So if you're looking, if you're if you're looking at need, the need is definitely outfield. And so if Vance Honeycutt is the top outfielder here, um, he's defensive player of the year. He's definitely a center fielder. They're thinking he could be a 30-30 guy, maybe uh, 30 homers, 30 stolen bases. He cut his strikeout rate by a lot from 30% down to 20% as a sophomore. Um, so, yeah, so uh, who knows if this guy is like a lock in center field. Uh, if that's something they would look at. So Antonetti uh, said we've got a lot of people that work on this draft stuff. He he basically said, Antonetti in the interview basically said, it's not going to be me making this pick. We've got people to do this. And then kind of threw in there, you know, well, of course I'm going to work with them. But uh, it's it's not, Chris Antonetti, uh, it sounds like him and Chernoff, uh, it's not their job to do this scouting and to look at these uh, you know, college players and prep players. Uh, they obviously, their people report to them, but uh, they have other people in the organization that have been doing the work on this. And he did point out the fact that they they weren't really expecting this. So, you know, they were probably scouting to see who would be available uh, a little bit later in the draft. Maybe some of these guys, they don't have detailed workups on because they were dreams that they didn't think would ever come true to land one of these hitters. So, again, J.J. Weatherholt is that infielder from West Virginia. Nick Kurtz is that first baseman from Wake Forest. Travis Bazana is that second baseman from Oregon State. I, I From the sound of it, one of those three guys are probably going to get their name called by the Cleveland Guardians as, it, as the mock drafts stand right now. Now, I'm not going to be doing mock drafts leading all the way up to the draft in July. Uh, if... if rumors are out there that the Guardians are really locking in on someone. We'll try to dig into more detail and find out more about them. But for now, be excited. And uh, if, if you get more information, if you're leaning towards one of these guys, tell me why. I'll tell you that, uh, again, to answer Jeff's question, I would think you have to attack the lineup with this draft pick. And that's how I would you know build this team. That That's the move I would make here. All right, so let's get into some of the other things that have gone on, um, and uh, let's answer some more of your emails. First off, Bob in Highland Heights, 
Uh, he said, I thought the recent moves would be a good reason for a podcast. Thanks for your thoughts and info. I think spending the money on Barlow is better than on Quantrill. That said, I believe we seriously need to add a starting pitcher. Frankly, I'll be amazed if Tristan, Tristan does not wind up needing elbow surgery. My understanding is he had mixed medical opinions and chose the no surgery option. Since everyone needs pitching, I doubt minor league middle infield prospects get a pitcher of any value. I need to do some work to see how our guys are doing in the Caribbean winter ball. Bob and Highland Heights. He P.S. He said, good on Bybee. Going back to our conversation we had about Bybee uh, being the runner-up in the rookie of the year. Bob's with me on that one. Uh, definitely good for that young man. Uh, you know, Bob, I honestly, to, to, to help with the pitching, they tend to go with that non-roster invite to spring training, somebody that they can fix, um, somebody that other teams have kind of given up on. And that tends to be the route they go when it comes to giving themselves pitching depth. I, I think it's pretty clear who the rotation's going to be. And I, I don't know if they, they look for that depth through a major league trade or something like that. I think what, I think if anything, what you're going to see is a position player, a trade for a position player. I think anything on the pitching side is probably going to come from those non-roster invites to spring training and someone who could either break through or someone who's willing to stick at AAA for a little bit until there's an injury need and they get the call up, which I mean, we've seen how many pitchers it takes to get through a major league season these days. It kind of sucks. Kind of sucks that these guys can't stay healthy. Uh, But it's a reality of the game right now. And uh, so I'm I'm sure. I'm sure there will be some names. They might not be names that get you very excited. But there will be some names out there uh, of guys the Guardians will take flyers on, will take chances on, or think they can fix. So, uh, Bob also, uh, sent me, he keeps me updated on Zach Meisel's athletic articles. Um, Zach's preview of the winter meetings. He says, I follow the Cavs. I follow the Browns. I love my Bearcats, Cincinnati Bearcats, for those of you not from Ohio. And I live and breathe for Cleveland baseball, Bob and Highland Heights. So keep it up, Bob. Keep the emails coming. Uh, John emailed in John from Hebron. Here, with the recent news of staff moves, I'm pleased with the people we brought in for the jobs. However, I was disappointed to see hardly any change with our hitting staff, both Vileka and Rodriguez returning. Do you think this is a reason to worry given how the team has hit in Vileka's three years as hitting coach, or will Volt Volt give some spark to our current philosophy? Thanks as always, John from Hebron. Uh, John, uh, let's get into the coaching staff a little bit here. And uh, the the names that were added recently was Craig Alvarez, who was uh, first named as maybe like an infield coordinator, has officially been named as the bench coach for Stephen Vogt. Uh, Ruglis Odor and uh, Brad Goldberg have been basically called up from Double A, where Odor was the manager. Um, Odor is going to be take over as the infield coach, which is what Sarbaugh was doing. It's still unclear if he's going to be the third base coach as well. And Brad Goldberg is going to move in as the bullpen coach. Uh, I believe those are the big additions. Oh, there's one more. Uh, is he not listed here? Oh, Kai Correa. Kai Correa is now going to be that major league field coordinator, uh, position. So, it's like assistant bench coach. I'm not exactly sure. It's kind of a new position that they've created here. But 
some of these names are names that people really, really respect around the game of baseball. And Albernez, Craig Albernez, your new bench coach, seemed very highly regarded around the game. Kai Correa, who uh, both those guys were last in San Francisco, uh, very highly regarded. They Their names have appeared many times on lists of future managerial candidates. And uh, they're going to get an opportunity, uh, you know, as a young staff here to prove what they have. And frankly, everything I'm hearing about the new guys, it's exciting. Uh, the players love playing for Ruglis Odor, it seemed like, at double A. Uh, Brad Goldberg had great relationships uh, with the pitchers and, you know, can only continue to help them here at the major league level. So a lot of familiarity there. Um, you still have Carl Willis, you know, leading that pitching staff, which is great, that continuity there. Um, you still got Sandy Alomar in that clubhouse as your first base coach, so that continuity there. It comes down to the continuity of Chris Valeka and Victor Rodriguez, the assistant hitting coach. It's really, really hard to judge Valeka and Rodriguez as hitting coaches, I think, because number one, the the philosophy of it seems almost the front office and the players that they've been given you know I have not been power hitting guys they they've been uh you know these contact light hitting will Brennan types and how much of that is Valeka's fault for the you know the lack of power that's been here the fact that you know people have been putting out these stats like you know no guardians outfielders hit more than 25 home runs and it's in a ridiculous amount of years um, I think the most home runs hit by an outfielder in like the last 20 years has been um, uh, Sin Su Chu. I think he had like 23 home runs or something like that. I, this is all from the back of my memory. So these numbers could be completely wrong, but uh, they're pretty close. Um, so yeah, uh, is that Valeka's fault? You know, uh, Andres Jimenez obviously had some pretty good progress before he had a um a step back last year but obviously his all-star year in 2022 was impressive how much of that was Valeka how much of the regression was Valeka and the hitting staff uh look at the strides that the Naylor brothers have made over the last year how much of that is Valeka uh his influence and Victor Rodriguez I, I I don't know it's really really hard to judge uh, then look at guys like Josh Bell, who had a, was terrible here and then went to Miami and hit a lot better. Again, did that have anything to do with the coaching staff? It's really, really hard to judge and figure out, John. So I, I'm going to look at this team. If you look realistically over maybe the last two years, there are, there are definitely some positives. I, I will give Valeka that. There are definitely some guys you can point to and say... There have been progress. There have been improvements. There, there have been things to like. And then there, there's guys that have regressed and guys that haven't reached their potential. And, and you know, why why isn't Will Brennan hitting the doubles machine that he we thought he could be? And why is Miles Straw struggling so, so much with pitch recognition? And why did guys like uh, Oscar Gonzalez, who we're going to talk about in a second, just never figure it out? Never. Um, what happened to Fermil Reyes? Why couldn't Valeka help him? So yeah, the, the, uh, man, it's really, really hard to judge him. 
Uh, it's you just you have no influence. You have no idea how much is his influence and how much is just the guys that were here while he was the hitting coach. Um, so yeah, so I, obviously uh, we'll continue to see how these guys develop. There's gonna be a new crop of young players coming very, very quickly, right? Jawinski, Noels, and uh, Jonathan Rodriguez's, and uh, let me pull up the Guardians prospect list. That'll help. George Valera, that's the name I was searching for. What are these guys gonna do when they get here? I mean, Manzardo and Chase Delotter, the guys that have been crushing in uh. In the uh, Arizona Fall League, what are they going to do when they get here? What kind of influence is Valeka having on them right now? Uh, you know, as he's setting the standards for the organization. Brian Rokia, was he going to develop into the star that we hope he's going to be? Uh, Gabriel Arias. So, yeah, the guys that are still here. Juan Brito coming as another infield prospect. So, yeah, there is... There are a ton of players uh, that need to develop. And Valeka and Rodriguez will be judged on how those guys develop. So it's a little too too soon, I think, for me to call John. There have been too many uh, arrows pointing in different directions for me to, to really, really say what, uh, what I think of Valeka and Rodriguez. But this is going to take me back to Jeff and Palo Alto's ultimate question, which is what I would do. And to be honest with you, Jeff, I think so much of this depends on what you can do with the players that are here. You have been making investments in this team. You've been making investments. You've got all these middle infield guys. You got Rocchio. You got Arias. You got Juan Brito. You've got Tyler Freeman. You've got David Fry. Don't forget about that guy. He's going to fit in here somewhere, I think. (laughs) And he showed some potential. So maximizing what you can get out of these guys, turning Gabriel Arias, using that exit velocity, and getting consistency out of that exit velocity from Gabriel Arias is going to have such an impact on this team. There's so many names, whether it's Manzardo joining this uh this major league team, right? Breaking camp with the Guardians, being that same platoon first base. Uh, that Josh Bell was last season, but doing it with success this time. Keeping things rolling from the Arizona Fall League. That is going to be so huge. So They've been putting pieces in place. They're just very young, and we really, really need them to develop into the potential that these scouting reports tell us, right? Brian Rocchio, uh, his hit tool is a, graded at a 55. Can, can we see that come to fruition? This is a guy who uh, at the AAA level was hitting 280 with a 788 OPS. Can we get that at the major league level? I guess he's never really had a super high average if I look at Brian Rocchio. Uh, he's never been over a 300 hitter since like rookie ball. Uh, what about George Valera? Uh, can we see the guy that had the 900 OPS in 2021? Uh, can we see the guy that had the 837 OPS at AA Akron two years ago? You know, uh, man, uh, getting George Valera to actually reach those expectations really, it solves the problems that you're looking for right now. 
right? Jeff Jeff's looking for something to fix this team. He's looking for how are we going to improve this offense? Um, and, and so much of this is dependent on those internal guys. Now, also what I would do if it were up to me, you got to be able to go out and find somebody who's got a corner outfielder that you can steal from them. You've got to. You've done it before. You've fleeced other teams in trades before. We can do it again. No, we don't have to necessarily fleece them. Well, we have the minor league prospects. But can you flip, uh, let's say, a Angel Martinez, a guy who, who's getting close to major league ready as, an, as a middle infielder? Can you flip a Jose Tena? Is there somebody out there? Uh, the guy you just got, uh, let's see, is he on the list here? I don't even see him on the top 30. The guy you just got for um, for Josh Bell, uh, was it uh, Khalil Watson? There he is. Can you flip that guy, uh, someone who's just come into your organization for a corner outfield bat? Oh man, uh, to be able to move one of these corner, one of these middle infield prospects to finally do it. Guardians podcasters and writers have been talking about it for three, four years now. This stockpile of middle infielders. Will you finally, finally trade one of them? Because you can't play them. You, there, there's no way to play Rokio and Gabriel Arias and Tyler Freeman at the, and and Jose Tena at the same time. Like there's just there's just not enough spots. Andres Jimenez is a lock at second base. I, I mean, unless you want to move him to shortstop, I, still an interesting experiment. But uh, he's platinum glove at second base, so you get why they're just like, hey, let's, what's working? Let's let it work. And you've got uh, Jose Ramirez as a lock at third base. So all these middle infield prospects, God, it just it hurts your brain to think, well, how have they not come up with a way to move one of these guys and make something happen in the outfield? If you go into this season relying on Miles Straw and Ramon Laureano and Will Brennan in the outfield, that is fundamentally missing something this team needs, which is somebody that can hit for power, who can drive in runs from one of the corner outfield spots. Whether that means Quan stays in left field or moves to center field, Quan's another lock on this team. Steven Quan does something that almost nobody in baseball can do. It's undeniable what that guy can do when it comes to getting on base, when it comes to making contact. He, he again, another lock on this team, right? But he can be moved to center field. Defensively, I think the, the multi-goal glover in left field can probably handle center field. So whether that power, wherever that bat is that you can find, and again, I, I, there's some names floated out there from from St. Louis, from Baltimore. I've heard different names. And wherever you find that guy, wherever you find that team that's finally willing to trade with you, you are failing this organization. You are failing this fan base, and you're failing this team. Frankly, you're failing Jose Ramirez if you go into this season. Relying on Miles Straw, Ramon Laureano, and Will Brennan to cover your other two outfield spots. You got to do better. Now, if if 
if Gabriel Arias, you know, uh, plays more right field and it continues to hit, and, and you tell me you're converting one of these middle infielders into an outfielder, okay, okay, you you you've cleared a little space in your middle infield logjam. You've at least addressed the situation. But again, uh, man, that's 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 a lot of development that has to happen for a lot of players at the major league level, and. Uh, the Barlow trade showed that by you know boosting that bullpen, you showed that you wanted to be competitive in 2024. You're going for it. You're going for the division. Come on, look at what the Arizona Diamondbacks did. Go for it. Minnesota Twins are getting worse this offseason. Right? You you can easily, easily get right back into this thing. Keep some health in the pitching staff, right? Keep those guys healthy. You're instantly back atop this division if you want it, if you want to go for it. So now is the time to add. Now is the time to, and it's it's got to be through trade. I, the TV contract thing, the Dolan's not spending money in free agency, I know it frustrates the heck out of everybody because there's, there's guys in free agency. You could just literally go sign right now and could be your starting right fielder and problem solved. It could be solved with money. But we all know what this front office is like. And this ownership group is light. I thought David Blitzer was going to solve some of those problems. But we'll see how that plays out. So that's what I would do. That's what I would do. I would I would hunt that trade market until I found someone reliable that can hit for power, that can drive in runs. And then tell Chris Vileka to tell some of these guys to get a launch angle going. And start swinging for the fences. I want to see Gabriel Arias. Man, watching the Texas Rangers in the World Series. And even Arizona. Like, watching some of these teams in the playoffs. The Phillies. I'm sorry, but home runs are such an important part of the game today. I, Gabriel Arias is the guy that, I, for some reason, I am just locked in on. Maybe it's because of the exit velocity. I feel like it's there. I feel like Gabriel, someone get him in the weight room. Someone, show, you know, work on his launch angle and turn Gabriel Arias into a power hitting. Either shortstop or right fielder. Turning him, turn him into a young Carlos Correa. When Correa's knees worked and he was healthy and he was bashing the ball in Houston. Turn him into that. All right, he might not turn into Alex Rodriguez. But, you know, he could hit for more power than Omar Vizquel did. There's a happy medium in there somewhere. You know? Nomar Garcia Parra. I don't know. <laughs> Let's pull out every 90 shortstop we can think of, right? Even even Jeter hit for power every now and then. Can we turn him into that? He's got the range for it. That's for sure. The arm. So, yeah. So, whew, I mean, I could keep going and we could turn this into an hour podcast, but I think think I've answered your question there, Jeff. So uh, that's how I would go about addressing some of these deficiencies. So um, yeah, uh, I appreciate the email, Jeff and Palo Alto. Keep keep challenging me. I like it. I like it. I like these deep thought questions. So uh, there we go. Uh, the last thing to talk about is uh, the two transactions that did happen. Uh, is it Jaime Berea or Jamie Berea? Uh, Berea was a right-handed pitcher from the Angels organization, and usually, you, you've heard me talk about this before, when the Guardians get somebody from, uh, when they get somebody from, uh, 
uh, you know, another organization, especially a pitcher, the first thing I do is go to the strikeouts per nine column. And it's usually in the double digits because that just seems to be who they target. So I pull up Jaime Barrea's MLB page and I look at his Ks per nine and they're in the sixes, the fives. He's averaged for his MLB career 6.83. And that doesn't sound like a Guardians pitcher. It's a guy who started some years for the Angels, then became kind of a bullpen tweener role, like started six games last year, but made 34 appearances. Carried a 568 ERA. You understand why the Angels moved on from him, but I don't know what the Guardians see in this guy. So again, I told you, this is what they do. He's a non-roster invite to spring training. They look for guys that they might be able to create depth out of. So who knows if they've got some magic up their sleeve to fix uh, Jaime Barea. But there you go. That's a, a potential pitching depth that was added um, this season. Now, the guy that got away from us is Oscar Gonzalez. Uh, he very quietly got DFA'd, which uh, if you stuck around at the end of the podcast, good. Because there's there's one more thing we got to talk about, and it's it tied to Oscar Gonzalez. Because by DFAing him, the Yankees went and picked him up, and the Yankees claimed him and added him to their roster. It created one roster spot on the 40-man roster. And tomorrow, while you're listening to this podcast, maybe, is the Rule 5 draft. One way the Guardians could approach this outfield thing and one way they can add some power is by actually selecting someone in the Rule 5 draft. I don't think we've done it since uh, Trevor Steffen, who we've turned into a very respectable, useful bullpen arm. I know he hasn't been the setup man we thought he was going to be, but still an effective bullpen arm. Come on, we've gotten more than we bargained for with that Rule 5 draft pick, right? That was pretty good. So can we do it again? Can we use this Oscar Gonzalez roster spot to improve this team and get someone here for the major league team and get someone here for the run, the 2024 run? I'm very excited to see what happens with this Rule 5 draft. I don't know the name. I don't know all the names out there. We're not going to go through them. We'll just see what happens. And if they pick someone cool, we'll come back this weekend and we'll do another episode. Oscar Gonzalez, look, SpongeBob theme song, Honestly, is one of my favorite recent memories being at that playoff game against the Yankees when he hit that walk-off hit up the middle. The SpongeBob theme song, when it came on, and I don't know how many people fit in the ballpark these days, let's just say 30-plus thousand, were all singing along to the SpongeBob SquarePants theme song was just, it was a moment. It was a moment that I was so glad I got to experience live in person. It's what makes this game great, you know? Everybody... Buying in and having fun together. Um, and the city coming together. So, yeah, I, we will always have those memories, Oscar Gonzalez. But um, the, 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 he struggled. He really, really, really struggled. He didn't qualify, but his batting run value would have been a minus 13 on uh, StatCast, on Baseball Savant. Uh, his chase rate in 2022, when he actually had some positive numbers, Expected batting average was in the 94th percentile uh, in 2022. Uh, expected slugging was 66. Like there, there were some good things here, but his chase rate was in the first percentile. He was the worst in baseball at chasing at 46.6% of the time. In 2023, he didn't qualify, but it got worse. It dropped to 48.8. So he probably still would have been in the first 
percentile. It got bad. He was chasing way, way too much out of the zone. Those sliders away were absolutely killing him. He stopped hitting for power. It just it wasn't there because he wasn't getting any pitches in the strike zone. So, I don't know. I, I really hoped that he was going to turn things around, but he looked broken. And there's a massive amount of power in that guy. But if everything is a slider away, and you, I mean, you're literally praying that a pitcher makes a mistake, and then that you're able to recognize that mistake, and someone leaves a hanging slider for you. But if, if that's the only way you can hit one, is a pitcher finally hangs you a slider, you're not going to survive as a major league hitter. You're going to hit a couple of impressive home runs, but you're going to hit like 150. It's just not going to work. He was hitting 214 in 180 plate appearances, and it looked like it was just going to get worse. I mean, his on-base percentage was 239, and he was only slugging 312. That's a 551 OPS. That is some serious, serious regression. And hey, maybe that's Chris Valeka's fault and the rest of the hitting staff. They got this young man, and they, they couldn't make it work. So we'll keep an eye on him. Uh, we'll see if what happened with Nolan Jones and Will Benson and everybody else that the Guardians have given away and given up on it turned into a great hitter somewhere else. We'll see if this trend continues with Oscar Gonzalez. But frankly, and it, it's going to be tied with what they do here at the Rule 5 draft or how they fill that last roster spot on the 40-man roster. But uh, I, I'm, I'm okay. I, I'm, I'm okay. I'll miss him, but I'm okay that they moved on. All right, let's wrap this thing up. All right, I went a little bit over a half-hour episode, but hey, it was a good conversation. You can't blame me, can you? All right, so we are celebrating the Guardians getting the number one overall pick in the draft. It is going to be fun, and it's going to be a fun conversation in our back pocket for the rest of the offseason and into the season as this draft gets closer. So stick with us. Uh, again, I'm, I'm not going to be a mock draft show. We're not doing that. But as names start to become more apparent who the draft pick could be, we'll definitely learn as much as we can about them. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Uh, I hope I, I moved. I hope the episode sounded good because I moved down into uh, my basement. I had to move my office down here. I had to move out of a bedroom to make some space. And uh, so I'm in a new space. Hopefully it sounds good still. Uh, I'll continue to tweak and make sure it sounds as good as we possibly can uh, here on Cleveland Baseball Mornings. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. I, I don't know why I'm still on Twitter. I, you still hear news that way. So uh, you can email the show at Mornings at gmail.com. This is the best way to get in touch with me. Send me an email. That way I can really hear from you. I can really hear your thoughts and we can get into a good conversation. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.